Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We have a new hero. Felizia Mulchan is our new hero. And I need to apologize for mispronouncing the name because, well, <laughs> I don't know how to do it right. But Felizia went over to buymeacoffee.com slash foster care and bought us several coffees. And that's going to help us cover the cost of the podcast host this month. So thank you so very much. If you'd like to join Felizia in supporting us, it's buymeacoffee.com slash foster care. And as always, you are so super awesome. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. Today's guest is Oleg Lohid. I said that right, didn't I? You did. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not always awesome with names. Anybody who listens to the podcast knows I always have to, I always have that sound like I'm questioning whether or not that's your real name or not because I'm terrible with names. So, Oleg, I found you on a TED Talk and listened to your TED Talk and thought, man, this guy's been through something. And he's been through something in our world, you know, the foster care, the the uh, adoption, the, the the whole thing about the the orphanage and and coming from overseas and a whole different experience than what most people have. And I just wanted to make sure that you we had an opportunity to, to let you kind of tell your story to the world and where you come from, the things you've experienced and what you've learned from that. So can you tell us a bit about where you got into it at? Absolutely. And, and thank you for having me as a guest on your show and everything that you do. When you had said, I've been through quite a bit, I think that's probably an understatement <laughs> as far as the different number of challenges that I've had to go through throughout my life. But I think for me, the more that I look at my story and to create some context for people who are not familiar with my background, I was born in Russia and I was born in a relatively small town, or at least that I think it's small, although I, I believe it's at least a million and a half, maybe even closer to 2 million people. And the town is called Chubarkul in the direction of Kazakhstan, for those that are familiar with that part of the world, was born under the same roof as my mom, who was an alcoholic, my sister, who was 18 years older, who actually ended up becoming my legal guardian after a while, and my dad, who was in prison at the time of my birth. So you, as you could imagine, just hearing those circumstances, the number of challenges that I had to face from a very young age and overcome and ultimately understand what does this place of home, belonging, sense of security really look like when so much of my real life was in transition. What I started to realize and what I started to learn from a very young age was that in order for me to change many of the circumstances that I was a part of, one of those was constantly trying to bring my mom and my sister back together. Uh, there was a lot of resentment between the two. My sister, and, and I don't blame either one by any means for having that. I think there was resentment between my sister and my mom because at the time of my birth, my mom essentially gave up 
her custody and, and her and her responsibility as a parent to my sister. So I, I could see that the tension that was created between the two of them. And so what that particular tension did was it put me in a very interesting situation where I had to understand how is it that I'm going to not only get to the next day, but how is it that I'm going to live in a family or under in a unit where the family was more of a concept than anything. It wasn't a reality by any means. And what I started to realize from that very young age was that in order for me to change the circumstances that I was a part of, one of the biggest things that I had to do was I had to take matters into my own hands. Now, you also have to understand that at this time, I was five or six years old. And many people even ask me, how did you have the capacity to make such decisions at such a young age? And the best way that I could answer that is, I think what ended up happening for me is I had one of those moments where I felt that enough was enough. And I don't know if anyone that's listening right now can relate where you've had a difficult circumstance or you were a part of a circumstance. And you begin to realize that the only way to get through that circumstance was to put yourself in the best possible position to move forward with what you knew. So although much of my journey, much of my first nine years was about survival, it was about getting to the next step, literally finding how am I going to make it to the next day? I also begin to realize that, yes, this is one part of the journey. But in order for me to really get through this, I've got to have some sense of future. I've got to create some sort of opportunities. And that's where I think the first opportunity came about was when I was nine years old and I had the opportunity to go into an orphanage. Now, little did I know of the decision I would have to make, and that is actually give up my parents' rights. I didn't really fully understand that what that meant. Um, I still remember that conversation to date where I sat across the table from this person who was a social worker. She was in charge of placements. My sister stood right behind me. She was crying the whole time, begging me to not do it, to not say yes to going into the orphanage. But I was so convinced that whatever it is my circumstances were, there was nothing about them that was going to change. And the only way to move forward was to make this difficult decision and to give up my parents' rights to go into the system, to not know anything about it besides how I was described it. And that is you have a place to live, roof over your head, toys, food, music to my ears, everything that I wanted to hear at the time. And so I chose to take that leap. I chose to take that leap of faith and step into it. And ended up living there for three years. I experienced quite a bit different adversities when it comes to mental, physical abuse. But I think if anything, what I've learned is that as challenging as that particular place was, I will also say that looking back at it all, for me, that was a place of opportunity. And the reason why I say that is because had I not been at the orphanage, had I not been involved in what at the time were folk singing classes, where I would perform folk songs with the music teacher there, I would not be here. I wouldn't be given the opportunity to come to the United States and stay here for two weeks and perform in front of future adoptive parents. I wouldn't be given the opportunity when I was competing amongst other schools and orphanages and winning 
to me what seemed like a million bucks, but the reality of the matter was like disposable cameras or bicycles. I, I wouldn't be given those opportunities to develop my self-confidence of the fact that I can do whatever it is that I set my mind to. So I think the more that I think about my own journey and the more that I think about the question that you had posed at the beginning, as far as what is it that you've learned through the story, I realized that the biggest thing that I've learned through this story was the incredible sense of self-belief that I have in myself. I'm a huge believer at this point on my journey that no matter how difficult a circumstance may be, I will always find a way just like I always have, but always have previously. And in knowing that alone, it's enough for me to get through whatever life has to offer me in the upcoming years. And I think that for me is a big difference. It's a huge mindset shift in understanding that that ability, not only has it always been there, but it will always continue to be here as long as I believe in it. And as long as I put it into action, and as long as I practice it. So fast forward to when I was 12 years old, I was finally adopted. I ended up coming here, being adopted into Ann Arbor, Michigan, to be exact. I didn't speak any English. I didn't know anything about this part of the world besides the fact that the United States was called dreamland, which I still don't really know what that means to a degree. <laughs> And the second part is the name Michael Jordan, which looking back at the two, maybe the two of them do go in the same sentence now, but it, it was such a, it was a difficult environment to move into a place halfway across the world where there truly were no similarities between the two. There's no similarities between the language. There's very little similarities between the culture. I mean, I, I'll never forget the memory of coming here during my first two-week exchange program, so to speak, and seeing my dad drive a BMW, I was so blown away because I'd never even seen a BMW in Russia before. So to me, all of these things that were considered normal day circumstances were actually like dreamlike scenarios or going into a classroom for the first time and then having all the teachers be called by their first name where in Russia, it was oftentimes professor X, Y, and Z. And in fact, many of the situations you were punished for not getting the names right. You know, I, I, I don't know if the two of you are f uh, ever familiar or have come, have come across these circumstances, but the way that the school was operated oftentimes in Russia was that concept of a ruler. That was a thing. You know, you had to sit in class. If you had a question, you raise your hand. If you want to go to the bathroom, you raise your hand, you ask for permission. If you speak out of turn, next thing you see is a ruler going across your desk. So there, there was a very strict form of discipline that was taught to us. And then all of a sudden, I come here, and A, there are no desks. The entire classroom is set up with couches, and everyone calls the teacher by their first name. So imagine that for a second, just a culture shock that one experiences in just that one setting. And then you have all of these other things that you have to juggle simultaneously. The language, developing a relationship with parents, people that you just met a year and a half ago. So I think there's, there was much that I went through 
but the lesson that I've learned within that is the ability to adapt. Ability to adapt to my circumstances. And that in a way has led me to a question that I've been asking myself ever since or reminding myself of, and that is how do you respond to your circumstances? Yes, you might be going through a challenging time, but how do you respond to it? That's a lot, a big lesson to learn in life. I found, um, learn how to, how to separate the moment from, from your goals, right? What happens right now versus what's going to get me where I want to be at 43 years old. I still haven't quite got that figured out all the time. I can't imagine <laughs> being a five or 12 year old kid trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. It was a challenge. And, and at that particular age, I, I didn't necessarily even have the resources to obtain such knowledge. And it wasn't until five years ago that I came across Napoleon Hill and Andrew Carnegie and some of these other people that have been talking about many of these things when it comes to leading by example, leading yourself first, choosing to be of service to yourself before you can be of service to others. And so I think much of my earlier years leading up to maybe 24, 25 years old, it was trying to do the best that I can with what I had. I didn't know things like that existed. I didn't know people like Tony Robbins and Oprah and whoever else not only started maybe in similar circumstances and were able to get to where they are, but I didn't even know the work that they did. So when I was that young kid, if anything, what I'm realizing is that much of my ability to get to where I was, was completely dependent on me. You know, I know you mentioned at the beginning how you didn't feel like you had a, a safe home, a place where okay. you could really feel at home. I, I'm curious, um, have you ever, have you ever figured that piece out? Do you, do you have that sense now? And if so, what is it that, that made that a possibility for you? I think for me, it's a really good question. So <clears throat> I was just having a conversation like this earlier today. And I think deep inside of who I am, one of the things that continues to drive me is this concept of transition. I feel that from a very young day, or probably from the time of my birth, I've always been in transition. One of the challenges of always being in transition is that, at least for me, not only are there things that I don't choose to attach to, but it's more so a conscious decision that I make in understanding that any of this could either be taken away or change within any given moment. So it's a great strength to have because then I'm not being attached to whatever it is that I'm able to have right now. But at the same time, it's also a huge challenge because when do you operate from not being in transition anymore? When can you settle down? When can you develop that sense of security and comfort? Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash foster care nation. Now back to the show. 
the biggest thing that I, my parents, my adoptive parents did that actually helped me tremendously in understanding what it means to be part of a home and, and what it means to belong is that they kept an open mind. They kept an open mind with all of the circumstances and all the things that I was going through. And to be completely transparent with you and all the listeners, my first two to three years were hard. They were extremely difficult. I didn't know how to speak English. My only way that I was communicating with my parents, as well as those around me, was through a paper dictionary. So now imagine being able to, to communicate with others through a paper dictionary as a teenager. I wasn't going to take the time and calm myself down and find the proper words. I'll show it to you through my emotions. And so to this day, I remember times when I would stand there in front of my mom and we would yell at each other back and forth, all due to our language barrier. She didn't speak Russian. I barely spoke any English. And so whenever she would tell me something such as like emptying the dishwasher, I was a teenager. I kept asking why, why do I have to empty the dishwasher? And then she would say, well, because of that. And then I would ask another why. And I would keep asking why in order for her to submit to the task and do the task herself. So I can go on and do the thing that I wanted to do, which was go, go outside and play with my friends. So the, the first two to three years, it were extremely challenging extremely challenging because I didn't speak their language. And I also think that because there were so many things that were being thrown at me at the same exact time, such as learning the whole new culture, it probably created um, a sense of frustration, one where I was constantly under stress, overwhelmed. But going back to what I said earlier, I think what helped me get through much of that was A, my own individual drive and ability to keep pushing past the obstacles. But B, it was my parents. It was my parents. It was their ability to maintain that open mind and understand that, hey, this is just a phase. This is just a chapter. Nothing about what he's going through, nothing about what he's experiencing is permanent. Everything is temporary. Now, there's a large po portion of that that I think was probably strictly de uh, dependent on hope, hope that things would work out, hope that it would not be what it is that they're experiencing in the moment. And there's no way of knowing when it all happens. I mean, I'm sure that the two of you know stories where some kids made it out and some kids didn't. So what is the difference? What is that ultimate difference between the one that chooses to get to X, Y, and Z phase of their life and the other one doesn't. I think that's just, I, I think that's the beauty and the challenge within all of it. So my parents played a big role, a huge role in helping me find that sense of belonging and, and identity ultimately and believing in myself and always supporting me every single step of the way. Well, it sounds like you really made a connection with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I know yeah, I made a connection with them times. Yeah. You know, I think the other reason why it was hard is because my first nine years, my first 12 years, I had a difficult time trusting people. I had a difficult time trusting adults. And the biggest reason why is because there almost seemed to be this pattern 
where every single person that I trusted, what ended up happening was that there was a point within that journey where they somehow misled me or abandoned my trust. And I realized after a while, after, after it happens once or twice or a handful of times, it's harder to come back. It's harder to come back to the individual and continue to give them benefit of the doubt when they do mislead you and when they do tell you false information. So I think the first 12 years were formative, formative as far as they created a foundation for me, but at the same time, they created many challenges moving forward because my past was constantly influencing the present. It was constantly influencing the future of it all. So when I was in that situation where I was all of a sudden in a new household with my parents, it took me a while for me to trust them. It took me a while that they truly wanted what was best for me because my previous circumstances kept saying otherwise. You know, that, that reminds me of something a friend of mine um, had talked about he's a he's a therapist and works with uh with a lot of youth actually we interviewed um nick satello a while back he's and he told his story he's the i think he's maybe in charge of the um the highest level security youth detention center in the state of oregon so he works with a lot of troubled boys and mm-hmm. uh, and that that's one of the things he talks about is um is earliest memory work and realizing that so much of, of our fears and our, our, so many of the, the lenses we see our life through are built in those super young formative years. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, and in full transparency, we're in the middle of going through, through a real tough spot with one of our kids right now. And I wonder for you, how was it that you were able to eventually get to the point where you could see that was, that was where, that was where a lot of your struggles came from. Did you see that in the moment at all at any point along the way, or is that just something that you've come to realize years later? I think for me, it wasn't until years later that much of this started to make sense. And, and how it started to make sense is I started to look at all of this journey as a story. I started to realize that if all of this is a story to begin with, that I'm telling about my previous circumstances, then therefore there has to be an opportunity for me to shift that story, to tell a different narrative. And I think the more that I started to focus on that particular mindset, that's when I started to attract many of these quote unquote resources into my life. One of them is being Tony Robbins. When I was 23 or 20, going on to 24 years old, I'll never forget this moment. It was, uh, I was part of this program in Newark, Delaware. And this whole summer, three to four months, I was doing nothing but meditating, journaling, just processing my own experiences and creating that space for me to look at many of those circumstances through a different lens. Well, next thing that I know is I come across this guy whose name is Tony Robbins. And I'm all of a sudden like addicted. I'm addicted to watching that content And not necessarily for how it's presented or anything, but because I'm addicted to the way that he thinks. And then I started to believe that it's possible for me to think the same exact way. One thing leads to another. 
I'm reading a book within weeks of that called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And that book alone creates an opportunity for me to understand the simple truth that it is possible to think and grow rich from your thoughts alone. And those two circumstances, I believe, were the seeds to a much larger picture where I started to look at my own experience and my own journey through the lens of a story. And then I began to realize that if all of this is a story to begin with, if all the past events are based on a story that I'm telling, based on the person that was involved within them, is it possible for me to shift that story by changing the character lens? So is it possible for me to shift it through the lens of being not someone who's in the circumstances, but in but a bird's eye view, someone who's observing them? And that that is one of the first moments where I sensed something within me and it was how I was telling the story and how I was presenting many, many of the challenging circumstances to other people that everything was shifting. And then one other thing that I'll mention that played a big role was I ended up watching a, I think it's a form of a documentary or a movie on Netflix with Tony Robbins called I'm Not Your Guru. And essentially what it is, it is a deep dive into much of his work and how he works behind the scenes. And I remember watching the whole thing. It was probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours. After I was done watching it, the last half an hour, an hour, I cried the whole time because I saw myself in him. I saw myself in what I could be, despite of all the circumstances I was born into. And after I was done watching it, I vividly remember making a commitment to myself that I'm going to change my circumstances, that I'm going to start working on finding different ways to look at that past and really use it as something to help me move forward, to help me learn and to help me grow in the person that I envision. See, I think far too often, in my opinion and my own experience, one of the biggest things that was holding me back from achieving whatever it is that I envisioned in life was my own past. I was looking at my past through the lens of a victim. I was constantly being challenged with this question of why me? Why was I the one that had to go through all those challenging circumstances? Why was I the one that had to lose my mom the year after I was adopted? Why was I the one that I had to go into an orphanage and give up their rights to begin with? And then through a simple reframe, and I'm saying simple in a sentence here, but it took many, many years to get to that point. But through a simple reframe of shifting that question, and instead of being, why me, to why not you? Think about what you were given. And that's what I was starting to repeat to myself, is think about what you were given in life. Yes, you were born into a very adverse set of circumstances. But at the same time, each and every single one of those experiences has, has a lesson behind it. And that is where I started to just completely shift my own life and, and look at all of those experiences from my past, including people, through a completely different lens. 
And it was in those moments I realized the power of forgiveness. I realized the power of acceptance. I remember one of the very first times when I started to look at my birth mom and the way that the society wanted me to view her at the time was here as a person who was irresponsible, who couldn't take care of her kids, who chose drinking over taking care of her children. And then I started to realize that those are someone else's opinions. And I don't have to let those opinions become my reality. And so looking at her and approaching her own experience or my experience with her through the lens of, okay, so those things might be true. She did drink, but at the same time, what did she teach me? And the biggest lesson came from her. I think she was one of the first people that helped me instill this ability to be driven without a doubt, because all the times when I went out there looking for her on the street and I came up short nine times out of 10, sometimes 10 times out of 10, the message that I repeated to myself back then is the same exact message I repeat to myself today. And that is if I talk to one more person, if I ask one more question, I might be that much closer to a yes or achieving whatever it is that I envision. And had I not started to look at my own mom through those circumstances, I don't think I would be here having this conversation with you, nor having this perspective. Wow. Yeah. Because we, we look at those things as, as difficult things, as, as problems that people go through, as problems that people put on us. And oftentimes it's really easy not to, not to look at it as an opportunity for us to learn and to grow. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you have, you have really not only learned that, but embodied that because it's really easy to look at people, you know, in, in, in the foster care world, we have seen plenty of parents who do a lot of irresponsible things that make it really easy to dislike, you know, certain people for what they've done in the past. Hi, this is Jason. And Jason. Also known as? Turtle. May is Foster Care Awareness Month. The month of May every year is dedicated as National Foster Care Awareness Month. And we wanted to talk to you guys real quick about how important that is. Turtle, how important do you think it is? Super important. Did you know that there was almost a half a million kids out there that need a home right now? No. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think it's a good thing that that people help out kids in foster care? Yeah. How do they help kids? By taking them in, feeding them, giving all them all the stuff they need, giving them a safe place. Yeah, that's important stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You don't think we can take a half a million kids into our house, do you? No. That's right. We need to find a safe place for all those kids, don't we? Mm-hmm. So all the people out there listening need to know how much we need foster homes. They really do. And one of the someone told us a while back, um, can't remember who it was, but you know the we were talking about dealing with bio families, and and her words were that I would hate to have someone else look and judge me for how I behaved on my worst day, and that was that was a bit of a perspective change for me to to really sit and realize that yeah, if you judge me for my my worst day. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, 
You know, mm-hmm. th- th- there's been a couple of those days that weren't real pretty days. Mm-hmm. And, and, let me, and let me tell you this, as, as you're sharing this, there's something that comes to my mind. I think this whole con- concept of judgment. So first and first, I think it's real. In my opinion, I don't, I don't think it's possible not to judge ever. I think if anything, that judgment evolves. And for me, I've just become a lot better at being aware when I judge. But when I started to step into much of this journey and much of this growth, I started to realize that many of the people who were in similar circumstances had different intentions. They had no intentions of going back into their past and looking at it through a different lens. And if anything, I think there's also, in my opinion, this expectation that just because I did it, then therefore everyone else can do it. Well, the reality of the matter is let's, There might be a grain of truth in that statement, but at the same time, I don't know if everyone can do what I did. And I think I would be lying to you if I said that I went through X, Y, and Z, and here I am now, therefore every single person can do it. I don't know if that's true. I I do believe that having certain people like I have who are one or two or 10 steps ahead of me, it does serve as inspiration. It does give me that extra fuel to step into it and make myself believe that it might be possible. But then at the same time, there were so many things within my journey that happened without my control. The people that I met, the people that chose to stay in my life, the books that I attracted into my journey, all of those things I had no control over. And so I think there is also a real thing to acknowledge within what you just said, Jason, and it's this fact that there's this expectation, especially when it comes to the foster care system, that yes, you had a difficult past, but look at someone else who's, who's gone through X, Y, and Z, and they're doing it. They're doing ABC now. I don't know if that's a reality for everyone. And I think making someone believe something before they believe it themselves I think that's a dangerous road to go on because then I'm not going from within. And when things do get tough, what do you fall back on? Or when the motivation is gone, where do you go? How do you find that extra fuel to keep going? So I think if anything, there is, there is um, an expectation that is placed not only on those that go through the system, but also the parents that choose to take kids into their home. It's like you took the kid in. Now it's a perfect life when the reality of the matter is you took the kid in and you're about to begin another journey. You're starting at square one, just like you started at square one, however many times ago. And that to me is one of the biggest misconceptions about adoption or foster care is that it's presented through this lens of a second chance And in many of the cases, it could be a second chance. But at the same time, all it is, is just the beginning to a completely other chapter of your life. And you have no idea how it's going to work out. And just because someone else's case was different, it doesn't mean that your case is going to be the same. You're going to have your own set of battles. You're going to be tested in your own way. And I think... That to me is just the honest truth of just acknowledging the journey for what it is and knowing that 
each and every single one of us has our own battles that we're fighting every single day. Yeah. Remembering that is not always easy, but you know, when the people you meet in this world, it's, you don't know who you're meeting in. And that's when you go to the grocery store, you know, the guy in the other, in the aisle over, you don't know who's going through a divorce or lost their, their wife or a kid or, or what, what the struggles other people are going through. But even more so when you're dealing with kids who come from hard places, you, you have no idea what they're going through at the moment. And they may still be dealing with something from five, 10 or 15 years ago that they've not yet been able to work their way through. And it's really easy to be judgmental and not so, not so easy to be able to, uh, to just be caring and supportive in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things we've had to learn how to, how to accomplish. And I'm not going to say we do do it a hundred percent because God knows we don't, but it's something that we're definitely conscious of. And I think the point you bring up is that that needs to be something that, that if you're going to, to put yourself into this journey, if you want to become a, a foster parent or a foster family, you need to be able to, uh, to realize that and begin to shift your mind that way. And for the kids who went through it, who are adults now, who've never learned that lesson, I think you bring up some great points because man, life is hard. Life is hard. If you don't have somebody to help you reframe that, that, that can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so much in life is unknown. And I think if anything, what I'm beginning to learn and understand a couple of things first is I used to take on this responsibility of wanting to change other people. And then I just realized that that was a journey that just made no sense to go on because unless the person is willing to change themselves first, I'm really not being of any service to them. So that was the first rather hard, harsh reality to understand is that my only responsibility on this planet is to change myself. And for those that are willing to look at me as whatever it is, form of inspiration or can do it, whatever that may be, that's their own journey. But then the second point, something that you had mentioned is this whole concept of commitment. I can look at anyone else's journey and I can be inspired and I can put myself in the mindset that whatever it is that they've done, it's also possible for me to attain. But unless I choose to commit to the process of growth and then unless I choose to stay committed when fill in the blank hits the fan, that's the difference. And it, and it does, it has for me many times. And yet I continue to keep going. But I think the biggest thing for why I continue to keep going was a continuing to believe that I truly am. It, it, it is about me, but it's also not about me at this point. It's about so many other people's lives that I'm able to touch through it all. But I will also say this, that I would not be in the position that I am had it not been for five to 10 people that have supported me every single step of the way. And that was a big shift for me is understanding how do you actually build a support group and a community when you didn't have one to begin with, when you came into this world, what does that look like? How do you develop trust again? How can you trust anyone? 
And I started to realize that even though part of networking, at least for me, and I would be curious to hear both of your perspectives on this, but part of networking is about finding that needle in the haystack. It's finding that one person that I can open up to, that I can trust, that I can do all these other things with. But it's a very small number. I don't know what it is for the two of you, but for me, it seems like it's one out of 10,000 people that I meet that I can actually trust. And I know that's going to receive me for who I am, not going to judge me for who I am or the different things that I've done. And so in understanding that, I started to realize that if networking is about finding the needle in the haystack, then therefore it's my responsibility to maintain that contact with those five or 10 people. Because those are the people that I can always fall back on when things do go south. Those are the people that I can pick up the phone and say, hey, X, Y, and Z, I'm going through this. Can you hear me out? I'm not looking for any advice. I'm not looking for any guidance. I'm simply looking for a space to be heard. And that for me was one of the ultimate truths behind much of the work that I started to do is in my opinion, many of the people what they're looking for is a place to be heard and to be appreciated. That's it. It's as simple as that. But not many are willing to listen. Not many are willing to listen to genuinely understand, but more so listening to respond. And I don't blame any of them. I don't judge any of them because I was like that. And I probably still am like that sometimes where I'm there listening to respond. I don't know if the two of you can relate, but, you know, sometimes when you sit there and someone's sharing something with you, and yet as they're sharing it, you have a New York Times bestseller in the back of your head, just ready to explode. <laughs> you got the beginning, the middle, and the end, and you've got the call to action with all of that. But really, that's not being in the moment for me. That's having my own agenda. So whatever it is that you're saying, it's, I don't even think it's registering. If anything, it's triggering some of these other thoughts and some of this other story that I have. And that is what I started to do more so is just really trying to be in the moment and really try and listen to the person. And trust me, it's hard. It's hard to be able to sit there and do what you guys are doing. Listening to the story, thinking about what's the next question I got to ask? How do I transition? All these other things, because those are all real thoughts. But the reality of the matter is I realized that much of the conversation, in my opinion, there is a natural flow to it. But how the thoughts actually connect, it makes no sense whatsoever. I don't disagree a bit. That's, <laughs> that's, my, my brain is one of those that does not stop running constantly. And that, that was one of the challenges when we first started doing this. Uh, is to to sit down with a list of questions, and now I sit down with three questions when I start, and that's just to ask some some basic questions before we even start recording. And then after that, I I we just have found that letting people tell their story it, it forces us into that active listening space, and it provides the space for people to be able to tell their story. Because I think for me, one of the things I've noticed is. We all have our stories, right? We all have our perspective of how life happened. And if you listen to me tell a story about my childhood, I'll tell it one way. And my mom will entirely disagree and say that there's something, you know, no, 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 that's not the way. 
<laughs> I don't know if any other parents and children have that 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 perspective difference over the past, but but it happens in that place, right? And what I've learned is, especially for people, kids of hard places, people who came through hard trauma, they are oftentimes tell that story, and people will tell them, "No, that's not what it was," or "That's not," and try and explain away some of the pain of the story instead of sitting to listen and allow someone just to speak their truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real value of, of a lot of the podcasts that we do is that we really try to just allow people to speak their truth. And oftentimes it's a, the first time that, that they've had the opportunity to speak their truth without somebody trying to fix them or, or judge them, judge them, tell them wrong. Yeah. And, and I'm really good at wanting to step in and fix everybody's problems. as guys i think we're wired that way in in large part but that's been something that my wife has had to teach me over the years is that just because she tells me about a problem doesn't mean she's looking for me to fix it and i think that's the way a lot of our relationships are no i just want to be heard and that's what we all want and so holding that space for somebody to tell their story it's just, it's a sacred space in, in people's hearts and it allows you not only to get it out, but for everyone else who's been through something similar to be able to connect with that story and know that they're not the only one. Mm-hmm. Well, and when and you that can, was much, go ahead, Amanda. I was just going to say, when you can tell your story and, and not be judged and have people judge you for that and, and finally speak your truth, it, it's a very healing experience. Yeah, I know we interviewed. Yeah. Um, who was it? I can't remember her name right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna totally mess it up because I can't remember which one it was. But we had talked to a lady who was a therapist, and um, she had done a lot of work. And ironically, she starts telling a story about a, a child who was adopted from Russia, and this was shortly after the time when I had, I had talked to you, and I thought, I think after the recording, I stopped and said, the kid's name. It wasn't Oleg, was it? Because. <laughs> The story was so similar to what I'd heard you talk about on your TED talk. And mm-hmm. I went, wow, you know, it's just, it's just proof that as unique as your story is, there's always someone else out there going through the same thing now or has in the past that you can either comfort or, or listen to and learn from their story. When we, when mm-hmm. we want this. And I think that was one of the harder things for me to process and understand throughout this journey is that I'm not alone. There's got to be someone else who has experienced a similar set of circumstances (laughs) and not even necessarily was able to find the other side, but more so can just acknowledge the different things that that happened for what, for what they were. And it wasn't until the whole coming with Tony Robbins and Oprah and some of the other people that I started to see myself within their own journeys and give myself that opportunity to understand that here are, or here is a group of people who have gone through similar things in life and they've acknowledged them, they've accepted them. And they also chose to keep moving forward because I I think if anything else that I've learned along this journey is when it comes to adversity, I don't think there is an end to it. I think adversity, in my opinion, it's something that's always going to be there like it always has. So there it becomes more of a question of how do I respond to it? What do I choose to do with the adversity at hand? What are the lessons? What are the takeaways that I can learn from each one of those circumstances? Because if I'm not learning, then there's a possibility of the same thing repeating itself just through a different event. 
And it's going to keep on repeating itself and keep on repeating itself until I find a way to break that cycle. <laughs> until I find a way to learn whatever it is that I was meant to learn through all those things. And that for me made the biggest difference. When I started to look at all of those adversities and everything that I've experienced, not only in the first 12 years of my life, but yesterday, I mean, if I'm being honest, 30 minutes ago, five minutes ago, whatever, whatever it is, I started to approach it through that lens. I started to approach it through the lens of what am I here to learn? What is this here to teach me? And what is it helping me see differently that I haven't seen before? And I think if anything, one of the biggest reasons why I'm here, besides all the other things that I mentioned to you, is the ability to look at all of these events as a learning opportunity. I realized that when I started to look at them through that, through that particular lens, I was very rarely sucked into the circumstances again. I don't know if the two of you can relate or many of the listeners, but you know, sometimes when you go through a very challenging time and you get sucked into the moment and you get sucked into the stress, the anxiety and all these other things that it, it brings up to one's attention. It's harder to pull yourself out of that. It's harder to take a step back. And I was in those moments many, many times. I mean, I've experienced those times on, years upon years. And then I just started to realize that there became a point where once again, enough was enough. How do I change this experience? How do I not get sucked into the circumstances as much as anymore? Because I think there's also a point, at least for me, like when I was going through different challenges in my life, whether it's financially or whatever it may be, I started to realize that, okay, here's an event. It's happening. It's going to happen with or without me. So why am I putting all this additional time and energy in talking about the circumstance when the reality of the matter is I can just pick one decision to focus on and then after that decision, go to the next one and then go to the one after that and keep building the thing until that experience is able to be transformed into something completely different. And that for me, I think was a, it was a big turning point in quote unquote, reframing that adversity into opportunity, so to speak. And that opportunity being the opportunity to learn and to look at it through a completely different lens. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who has spoken a lot about reframing. Um, I've spoken with him a lot about that over the last year or so. And that that's a one huge skill set that changes every, everything. Once you learn to reframe what, we see is something bad or horrible and learning to, to find the good in it. Mm -hmm. Where can I grow from this? As opposed to, you know, I mean, if you, you go to the garden, you dump a pile of manure on it. Manure is not inherently great, but it's good in the right places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I but it truly, truly is like that though. Go ahead. I wanted to ask you about, you know, you, you talked about when you were five years old and had to make that decision as to whether or not to enter the orphanage and that you were convinced about your future, but you didn't have the knowledge and life experience to know where it was going. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain you've had that, that moment a lot that, that basically describes most of the teen years, right? You, you're convinced about the future without the knowledge or perspective of what it really holds. 
as you walked, have walked through all those different points and places in your, in your life, what have you taken out of that? Now, do you still find yourself convinced about your future? And is, is there something that informs those decisions? When I think about my future now, the thing that I choose to believe in, and it's probably something I believed in at a relatively young age, is that I do believe that anything is possible that I set my mind to. I think that's the biggest thing that I continue to believe along the way. And then within that, I started to realize that there is not necessarily one particular path to get into that one specific spot in life. I think far too often I had a goal in mind and I was fixed on the way that it had to be. I was fixed on, on thinking that it has to come in this particular form. There's everything else was out of balance, but that's because that's the way my mind works. My mind works through the lens of here's a goal and here's a quote unquote straight path to getting to that particular thing. But the reality of the matter, what life has taught me, and that is something different, is that there is no straight path to anything. It's always a zigzag. It's always 10 steps that way, 10 steps to the left, 50 steps backwards, and then you might get one step forward. And that's where I started to realize that much of the future, yes, it revolves around my own belief and my mindset that anything is possible. But that's only because that's what I started to believe along this journey. I started to believe that through much of the work of Napoleon Hill and whoever else who helped me reaffirm that if anything, all this is a, is a mindset. It's a mindset of me understanding that I can believe that the future is possible and then developing a set of tools along the way to kind of help me along the journey. But at the same time, I, I'm also sub summarizing 10 to 12 years worth of experience and, you know, 30 seconds <laughs> or whatever it may be, but that was the journey. That was just the honest truth of continuing to remind myself and always wanting to grow, understanding that there will be people within my life who may or may not want to grow with me. And that's okay. There are people in my life that I may have to not necessarily move past, but create some distance from, because when I interact with them, I'm not growing. And, and now I know the difference between what it's like to grow and when, what it's not, what it's like not to grow. So having the ability to make that decision has been key because it actually helped me refine my circle even more. Now I can confidently say that the people who are in my circle are growing themselves. And in a way it's, it's inspiring. It's inspiring for me to see people who are in my immediate circle who are constantly working on themselves. A friend of mine recently said, him and I were having this conversation and in the first five or 10 minutes, there was just, I don't even know how to describe it to you. There was just this uh, enormous form of synergy where the two of us understood each other and yet we've never met each other in our lives. And it's based on a few words that we exchanged. It's as if I knew this person for the last 28 years. And he had said something that was very profound to me. And that is, he said, in the brief five to 10 minutes of knowing you and everything that you've been through and everywhere that you're going, I'm going to assume that you are more likely to find spaces where you are trying to settle in, but not settle down. 
And in that moment, I realized that that in a way is at the core of who I am. I love to settle in, but I don't like to settle down. My version of a, of a dream life is not the house, the marriage, the golden retriever. My version of a dream life is continuing to grow. Almost like continuing to be in transition, but I no longer look at it as being in transition. I look at it more so as this is just the next chapter. That's, I think partially that's my philosophy on life. That's how I look at life. I think life is a book. It's full of chapters. Those chapters are one's experiences. And I, in a, in a way, I'm the author of it. I get to choose how I write those chapters. And what are the stories that I include in those chapters? And there are some chapters where it's nothing but loss and challenging times. And there are some chapters there it's nothing but pure happiness and joy. And in understanding those two things alone, that life is a book that's full of all these different chapters, it also helps me understand that nothing in life is permanent. So whatever it is that I might be going through right now, it's temporary. It too will pass with time. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you have a wonderful mindset. Um, I would just like to ask, what would be some advice that you would give to some teenagers that are going through the hard places of foster care and trauma? You know, because when we're teens and we're young, we don't, we don't get it at that point. But what would you like, what advice would you give? You know, I think the biggest thing that I would pass on to people is whatever the situation, whatever the adversity may be, A, recognizing what is it that you were that you would like to see differently and then from there i can only speak from my perspective this is how i approach <laughs> many of these challenges within my life but i started to look at it through the lens of what is this here to teach me what am i here to learn and what is it helping me see differently that i haven't seen before so picking any one of the events within one's life no matter how challenging, no matter what the situation may be. And, and having almost like an honest, honest conversation with myself. And that is, what would I like to see differently? And I think it's key. If you think about your own life, what would you like to see differently about your own circumstances? Or, or what do you think they can teach you that you haven't seen before? That's been a mindset that has, has probably changed our last dozen years as we have worked through this, the foster care and adoption system, because we had to learn how to figure out what it is that we were, that we were reaching for. And, and it's really hard to teach kids how to do that unless you've done that for yourself already. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been one of the, one of the, one of our lessons that we've learned. And I'll tell you that we've gained more from, from these kids that we have had in our home than, than we'll ever be able to give back. They just, through their adversity and troubles and struggles and, and, and oftentimes growth that we that we get to witness that has, has led us to a, a more, a more hopeful future. A lot of beautiful moments. Along with ugly ones. Some of them are really hard. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, foster mm -hmm. care is hard. These kids are going through something hard and we know it. And even mm -hmm. though it's hard, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. 
but you have to keep that perspective and knowing that that's real difficult. Oleg, I really appreciate a lot of your, your wisdom you shared with us today. You had some hard fought lessons that most people don't get to because they're not pushed to that point in life. And I was just talking with a couple of friends of mine this morning and, and the conversation came up about kind of the, the state of the world where it's at and, and, you know, the pandemic and how many people are, like losing their minds because they can't get the brand of peanut butter they want. And we kind of <laughs> joked a little bit about how, how that, you know, that seems to be such, such insignificant things seem to be such significant troubles for a lot of people and that our world has become, become pretty soft and, and we've been pretty spoiled to having, having it easy for a long time. And we forget sometimes how, it, how, how it is that we're able to do the hard work to make the real differences yeah. and change the world. Mm-hmm. I also think that in those situations, for me, it's also interesting to look at through the lens of, I mean, there are some people that truly just don't have a perspective. And, and I realized that in those situations where the problem is that the grocery store is not carrying X, Y, and Z brand of peanut butter is a problem. I, I, I look, I try and look at it through the lens of not being judgmental because they may not truly know what it's like to experience any other form of hardship in life. And I think having conversations like the two of you do and the ones that I have, those are the things that allow to create perspective within our lives, but not everyone has conversations like that. Not everyone has those opportunities to understand that there is a whole other side to this world. And I also begin to realize that when it comes to the adversities in life, Oftentimes I would have conversations with, with certain people and they would just off the bat say, Hey, I was uh, intimidated to talk to you or whatever else because of the things that you went through. And I tell them that I'm not here to diminish anyone else's trauma. Your trauma is your trauma. The things that you've been through are your own things. Whatever the cards that you were dealt at the beginning of your life, those are the cards that you were dealt. I just happened to be holding a different set of cards when I was, when I came into this world, <laughs> But what I started to believe, and this maybe goes to Amanda's question of what advice would you give anyone? And it's more so a belief that I started to form much of my life around. I started to believe in the concept that when I was born, I was given this hand, this hand. And after a while, I realized that there was this concept of having a unlimited, unlimited deck that's always available to me each and every single step of the way. So if that's true, then I can go back to that deck and I can reshuffle these cards. I can pick a new set. I can reframe. I can set a different set of meanings to many of those things that I was born with. And that's the biggest thing that I want to pass on to anyone is that you can't control the cards that you were dealt. In my opinion, all you can control is how you choose to play them, how you choose to respond to those circumstances. And everything that the two of you are doing when it comes to creating this space of being fully transparent and honest about the experience. I think it's, it's beautiful because I know it resonates with me. Like when I was building, when I started to build much of this, I didn't want to only build a space where they were the quote unquote success stories. Because then I started to look at it through the lens of, well, what happens to the other side? Or what happens to everything to be in between? And I think in my opinion, it's me 
doing disservice to others by only highlighting the success stories. And so in acknowledging the full truth behind, here's what the experience actually looks like. Here are the times when my mom and I had a screaming battle for however long, and both of us left that room crying. Here's a time when things didn't go according to the plan. And here are the times when things went relatively smooth. But if anything, it's, it's just all this one giant journey of the ups and the downs. And I think if anything, I, for me, it's more important to acknowledge the whole journey rather than one, any specific aspect. I, I'm genuinely not interested in only hearing about the success anymore. I'm more so interested, who are you as a person, as a whole? What were the ups and what were the downs? And what, what did they in between look like? Yeah, the success stories are nice to hear, but the truth is, is that real life happens somewhere in the middle and it's really nice to hear the people who struggled and understand how I might struggle through my own journeys. And yeah, because life is messy. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it and is. And everyone life struggles. If you really think about it, everyone not only the people who quote unquote made it to the top, but every single person has a struggle of their own. It's just different compared to anyone else's. Yeah. I recently heard um, a friend of mine say, you get to choose your hard. You get to choose whether you go, go do a hard workout, whether you take the time to eat a healthy diet or not. You, or if you choose to just eat like crap and let your body go to, you know, go downhill and, you know, preaching at the choir over here. Cause that's my story. You choose your own heart because the health problems that come along with that had their own struggles. Mm -hmm. You choose your heart. And that's a mindset that I, I love the way he put it to me because it kind of convicted me a little bit. And, and that, you know, I have chosen my, <laughs> because I have my own, my own struggles with that. And, and, and it's, it's, it's true. You know, I've chosen my, my heart. I, I just have to, to deal with it and decide if that's the, the place I want to live in now. And hearing people tell their stories about not only the successes, but the failures allow us to really know where we can go in order to find that success. So, well, like I, I, you know, you have some great advice here. And if people want to hear you, you have mm -hmm. a podcast of your own called Overcoming mm -hmm. Odds, right? Mm -hmm. I assume you can find that everywhere normal podcasts are. Yeah, iTunes, all the other platforms uh, outside of that, probably find it through our website. And that's overcomingouts.today, not .com. Uh, the reason why it's .today is I believe the process can start today with wanting to redefine whatever the obstacles you might have along the way. So podcasts, uh, we also host events for people to come together and have very similar style of conversation as the one that we were able to have today, where you can be a part of a space where there's a group of people who are there to listen to you. And then from there, through that listening, help you find your own answers to whatever the questions that you might be seeking those answers to. I think there's, I think this concept of a space, it's such a powerful thing to do because even in this particular situation of being given the opportunity by the two of you to share and openly share. It's not that you're coming into my life and saying, okay, here are the answers or here's the way to do it. 
it's more so you just chose to open up a space where I can process those things on my own terms and help me better understand it the, the way that I'm able to. And that to me is a very powerful tool to do that. Amen. Amen to that. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story here today, man. That's, that's been great. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on and thank you for everything that you do. And I, I'm just grateful for past crossed. And it's also refreshing to see people like you who are constantly working on themselves and who are very much involved in this whole growth phase and cycle. And in my opinion, and I'll be curious to hear yours on this as well, but I feel like when I, when I stop growing, that's when I stop living. You know, anybody who's had a garden, a vegetable garden, flower garden, you notice that, that your plants only do one of two things. They either grow or die. Mm -hmm. There is no stasis in this world. Mm -hmm. We don't get to sit still. We either grow or we die. That's always been one of the one of the lessons that I, I actually learned that from my dad a lot of years ago, and it's a lesson that that has served me well. Mm. And it's very profound. If you don't, if you stop watering the garden, that's it. That's it. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Oleg's story. Now take his knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes up every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.